Thank you, Miguel. Good morning, everyone. We have a lot of guests this morning. As a preacher, that kind of makes me want to go a little bit longer, but I'm going to resist the urge uh, this morning because I know that most of you have either been serving in Mexico for a week and are probably tired from that, or some of you are preparing to serve with VBS for a week and you will be exhausted from that. So either way, I, I think I'll try to keep this short this morning. I do want to wish all the fathers a happy Father's Day. Uh, it's an exciting day in my life that yeah, it's really not, but it's fine. <laughs> Father's Day makes me think of all things masculine. You know, when you think of fathers, you think of masculinity, like chopping wood with an axe, <laughs> right? Or opening jars that are stuck. <laughs> you know, that's masculine stuff there. Or hammering nails without hitting your thumb. Like all those things just scream masculinity. And all of those things are things I usually ask Lindsay to do <laughs> instead. <laughs> so I don't say that from a place of, uh, of actually doing it. Things that make you a manly man. And one of the manliest men in the world is Elon Musk, right? The real life Tony Stark, Elon Musk. And I say that because he builds cars. And a lot of, some of you might even drive a Tesla and you're like, oh yeah, he's a car guy. Not only that, he builds rockets. What? How much more manly can you get? He started his career in video games. <laughs> I like it, so <laughs> I was just, eh, okay, fine. So anyway, in 2016, Elon Musk was at a conference. It was a coded conference. I don't know what that means. I don't understand anything he said. But I'll try to explain a little bit as far as I did it here. So he was talking about in about 40 years ago, there were video games just starting. And they started with a game like Pong, which is two lines and a dot that goes in between, and it's kind of like ping pong, except it's on a screen, and it's supposed to be the coolest thing. And then he said, but today you look at games, and they're so complex. It's very, very close to reality. And what he says, in his mind, he says, within 10,000 years, which for him is a short time span, for the rest of us, we're like, what? But for him, it's a short time span. He said that there will be simulations, there will be games, there will be uh, simulations in a, in, that are indistinguishable from reality. Within 10,000 years, you will be able to play a game where you will not know the difference between the game and reality. And... If that is the case, according to Elon Musk, there's a likelihood that we are just simulations in a higher intelligence's video game. Right? That was his claim. And his conclusion, his conclusion is this. He said, reality as we know it is probably not the ultimate reality. Reality as we know it is probably not the ultimate reality. Now, I don't believe we're in a video game. For any of you that do, I, I'm sorry, but I don't believe we're in a video game. But I think his conclusion that reality as we know it is probably not the ultimate reality actually fits us pretty well. I get asked by Micah a thousand times a day, 
what is real? What is real? So I'm not joking. I hadn't prompted this in him or anything. But this morning on the way to church, one of his questions for me, and it's a 10-minute drive, so one of his questions for me was, are leprechauns real? <laughs> he's five, and he's not sure. <laughs> are leprechauns real? And I try to have that conversation with him. I'm like, no, I don't think they are. And then he said, but my teacher, and he named his teacher, says that they are. Like, well, how do I argue with that? <laughs> the teacher's telling you leprechauns are real. What proof do I have that they're not? <laughs> what is real? We were watching TV uh, a couple weeks ago, and on some of the cartoon channels, they go back to some of the older cartoons. And so it's a, a channel where, like, Bugs Bunny and some of those things come on. So I flip it over there, and Thundercats is on. Right, so you've got these like lino, these animal, these cat, human things, and his first question when we turn it on is, "Daddy, is this real?" No, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> it's a cartoon. I, I, I don't understand. Ninja Turtles, same thing. Uh, so this weekend, I've been watching golf. I love golf. I like to watch golf, and I've been watching it. And his question, "Daddy, is golf real?" Like, we've been golfing. I, I, I don't understand. Like, I take you with me. I, it doesn't make sense. But then he gets into some more basic questions. Is God real? Is Jesus real? Are these stories that you tell me, are they real? It gets a little harder. Often when we talk about reality, what we do is we point to our five senses. If we can see it, then it's real. If we can touch it, then it's real. If I can taste it, then it's real. If I can smell it, then it's real. If I can hear it, then it is real. But this causes some questions for us. This causes some conundrums. Like, is the North Pole real? And I ask that in a pretty ambiguous way. Is the North Pole real? Is gravity real? Is attraction real? Is love real? And for us, the question is, is a thought real? Here's where we land. For disciples of Jesus, we believe that there is a reality outside of what we can see and taste and touch and smell and hear. We believe in a God who does not fit those descriptions right now, but we believe he stepped into our situation to fit those descriptions for a time. We believe in a reality in which there is good and there is evil. We believe that there is a reality outside of our senses in which we are at war. We are at war. Many of us know Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. So if you've got a Bible, turn over there. Ephesians 6, verses 11 and 12, Paul gives his, this church in Ephesus the following instructions. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is telling us we are at war. He paints a picture of this unseen reality. There is good 
and there is evil. There is light, and there is darkness. There is Jesus, and there is Satan. Those things are real, whether we see them or not. And he makes a similar claim in the passage I want us to spend our time in this morning. So again, if you have a Bible, turn over to 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10. We're going to start in verse 3. On here, I've got it in the middle of verse 3. Paul says this, We do not wage war according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle raised up against the knowledge of God. Our weapons have divine power to destroy strongholds and arguments and anything fighting against the knowledge of God. Church, we are at war, and we don't even see it. Here's where this hits home for us. This next verse matters. Paul tells the Corinthian people, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Last week we were in the, in the passage of scripture that Miguel read for us this morning, Philippians 2.5, where Paul ta- calls for us to have in us the mind of Christ. There's no small request. He's saying to be humble, self-emptying, and obedient, just as that is what Christ was. And the claim that I made, and it's a claim that I think is important for us, is that the only way to get there is to surrender to Jesus. We must surrender our minds. And in this passage this morning, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul is assuming you have made that choice. We see the two sides. You have decided which side you are on. You are either in the light or you are in the darkness. You are for good or you are for evil. You are on Jesus' side or you are fighting against Jesus. You have chosen to surrender to Christ. But surrender does not equal inaction. I think we hear that sometimes when we go there. Surrender does not equal inaction. Surrender actually equals action in light of who we surrender to. We surrender to Christ in order to become obedient to Christ. We are called to take every thought captive to obey Christ. I want to break this passage up into two parts. First part I want to deal with is the part about obeying Christ, and we'll come back around to taking every thought captive. But obedience to Christ is just important for us. Our desire has to be to become like Christ. Here at Woodbury, we say that we have these five markers of discipleship, and the fifth marker is that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. We are becoming like Jesus. And the only way we can do that, the only way we participate in that is by being obedient to him. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus calls, he talks to his disciples and he teaches them this. Whoever obeys my commands and teaches others to obey my commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. How many of you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? There's one path. And it's a path of obedience. 
In Matthew chapter 28, a passage that we've gone to over and over and over again the last couple years, Jesus taught his disciples that they're to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything he has commanded us. Obedience to Jesus is not an afterthought. Obedience to Christ is part and parcel with being a disciple of Christ. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to be obedient to Jesus. And we know this. A disciple of Christ obeys Christ. It is our mandate. It is our north star. It's what we put our hope in. Church, we cannot obey Christ if we don't know what he tells us to do. And this is, again, so for those of you in my class this morning, you let me get on some soapboxes. For the rest of you, this is your turn. Read your Bibles. <laughs> if we don't know what Christ tells us to do, read your Bibles. And in particular, read the Gospels. Get to know Jesus Christ. Get to know him. And if Jesus says to do something, do it. That is obedience to Christ. We surrender to Christ in order to become obedient to Christ because Christ is Lord. And Paul, the apostle to whom Christ called on the road uh, to Damascus, Paul is calling us to obey Christ by taking every thought captive. Take every thought captive. Just by show of hands, how many of you already do this? I am shocked. (laughs) Not really. It's what I thought too. The more I thought about this, the more that I recognized I don't do this. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, so in my mind, there are times when I give Satan just an inch. Here's just this crack. Here's just this little bitty place that you can come in. But every single time I do that, he takes a mile. Give Satan an inch, he takes a mile. It happened on Wednesday night. Wednesday night, Lindsay was at work, Micah was in bed, and I was just telling myself, I, I just need to sit down for 15 minutes. I'm just going to sit down, take a load off, just relax for a few minutes. I have a list of things that Lindsay wants me to do. I have a few things that I need to do for work, but I'm going to sit down and I'm going to relax. It won't be a big deal for 15 minutes, and I sit down, and there's this voice that's just, you're fine, don't worry about it, you're fine. I look at my watch three hours later, (laughs) haven't gotten up, haven't done any of those things, and I'm ready to go to bed, and I go to bed. Sometimes when I let Satan in, when I just say, oh yeah, those 15 minutes, takes a mile, and I didn't get any of that work I needed to do, didn't do the things Lindsay asked me to do. I just sat there and wasted time. Or what about this? What about holding grudges? I don't think any of you do that. I do. I have the opportunity to forgive, just as Christ forgives. But at some point, I just kind of decide not to. Why not? Then every encounter turns into a larger narrative about how that person is bad and I'm good. How that person is wrong and I'm right. How that person is lesser and I'm more. 
And before too long, something that should have been taken care of very early on in a relationship or early on after this happened gets so far out of control that it causes damage. Because when I give Satan an inch, no, I'm not going to forgive. He takes a mile. Any of you have experiences like that? Any of you know the wiles of the devil, as we read about? One thought turns into something so much bigger, so much worse, so much more dangerous. And so I think we can all see that there is a need to take every thought captive. But the question is, how do we do that? It's a great idea, take every thought captive, but how do we do that? And unfortunately, in this passage, Paul doesn't give us any instructions on how to. It is a command to take every thought captive, but no advice on how to do it. So what I'm going to offer you this morning are two practices that have helped me. Because the command still stands. We need to take every thought captive, but I want to offer you something that you can try, something that you can do. So I'm going to offer you two practices this morning that I have found helpful for me. You can take those and do with them whatever you want, but they might be helpful. The first one is this. It's called the prayer of indifference. It sounds fancy. It's by a lady named Ruth Haley Barton in a book called Discerning God's Will Together. And the idea of it is that we pray to God to be indifferent to anything but God's will. I am indifferent to anything but God's will. One of the places, places that Satan gets an inch in my life is when something doesn't work out the way that I want it to, when it doesn't go according to my plan, when my agenda gets sidetracked a little bit, I become anything but indifferent. And so this prayer has been helpful. I am indifferent to anything but God's will. And it reminds me of Christ in the garden. You know, you remember the scene when Christ is praying, God, take this cup from me. I, I don't want to do this. Take this from me. But he ends the prayer in the most profound way by saying, but not my will, but yours. Not my will, but thine. You can ask my three co-workers, my seven elders, my wife, any of them, if Jordan is indifferent, and they will have a very definitive answer. Some of them might scream at you, no, he's not. But in those moments, when I pray this prayer, it helps reorient me to a reality that God's will is bigger than my will. God's will is better than my will. And that's something that I need to be reminded of. So practice number one, prayer of indifference. Do with that what you want. Second practice that I highly recommend this morning is called breath prayer. Some of you have done this, but this is a this is a very good practice for me. You breathe in one phrase, you breathe out another. So the way I've been doing this lately, I've taken Jesus' words on the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And I've taken that to any scenario that I am in. If I'm about to have lunch with somebody, I will pray, into your hands I commit my lunch. <laughs> into your hands I commit this sermon. Into your hands I commit whatever it is, and it's been a helpful practice for me. As I was preparing this sermon, one of the things that I had rolling around in my head is take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
I don't know what's going on in your head. I don't know which one of those would be helpful to you. But this practice for me, when I've been able to stand up and say this practice over and over again, what it's done is, it, again, it reorients me toward a bigger reality. There are days when I pray that prayer 900 times, and there are days when I don't do it at all. But when I do, I usually have better control of my thoughts, my words, and my actions. Church, there is a reality in which we are at war. We don't see it, we don't touch it, we don't taste it, we don't hear it, we don't smell it, but it is real. And if that is the case, we need to be on Christ's side. If we have chosen to be on Christ's side, we have surrendered to him, and we must be obedient to him. And so the task for us now is to take every thought captive to obey him. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father God, we are in awe of your call on our life. God, when we surrender to you, when we give up our will for the sake of your will, when we give our lives for your life, God, we are just mirroring what you have taught us, mirroring what you have done for us. So God, I, I pray that we surrender our minds to you, that we can become obedient in our thoughts, that, that whatever thoughts come into our mind, whatever ways we give Satan leeway so that he can influence us, God, that we, we take those things out of our minds completely so that we can be obedient to your son. God, we want to be his disciples. We want to be his followers. Help us to do that. God, we thank you so much for this church, for this community, for the ministries that we have going on, and we pray that you bless them, bless us all this week. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.